Hello and welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast. The best and worst of LGBTQ plus cinema, one genre at a time. I'm Jazza John. And I'm Rowan Ellis. Each month we meet to discuss a queer movie from a different genre of cinema. This month's genre is... Queer Oscars, Oscars 2019! 2019. AKA one of the three movies nominated this year with at least one LGBT main character. But before we reveal this month's movie, because you're all on tender hooks, I know you are, we like to chat about how gay we are. Rowan, can you tell me the gayest thing that happened to you this month? I can, Jezza. I actually filmed a video at Gaze the Word. Which is a bookshop in yes. King's Cross. Yes, it is incredible. Um, there is a movie called Pride that hopefully we'll be talking about on the podcast one month, yeah, 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 um, yeah. which is all about it. But basically, very incredible historical site of much activism, much community, um, LGBT books as far as the eyes can see, and mm-hmm. some wonderful stuff. Well, at least to the back, to the back of the store. Yeah, it's not actually that big, so yeah, you can yeah, yeah. you can very easily <laughs> see to the back of the store. Um, really um, good hairdressers opposite as well. Just so you oh, yeah, thanks. you're Barbers. welcome for the tips, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> there you are. Uh, how about you, Jazza? <laughs> uh, so I went to the gayest city in the world, which is... Oh, okay, San Francisco. The city of St. Francis, yes, Put very me a good. second, yes, um, put me on the I spot. went to the Castro, on, I went for work, went to the Castro on my day off and spent the time at the Gay and Lesbian His- Historical Museum. Isn't it great? It's brilliant, also tiny. Yes. Um, I think we're seeing a running The thing. same size but, as Gay's the Word, yes. So they have a load, <laughs> actually very similar, but they have a load of stuff obviously around Harvey Milk um, mm-hmm. and a load of other political activists uh, from the city. Uh, but my favourite bit is a little corner that they've constructed where it's just a load of leather daddy porn. Um, uh, behind, not even a screen, just no, a bit no, of no. wood attached yeah, to the wall you can stand behind. Turn around and then they're up. Oh, porn, lovely. Um, it was really good though. There was a good. I, I bought a load of Harvey Milk t shirts. Very nice. Um, which I actually bought a size smaller than I am to incentivize me to lose some of my Christmas weight, which is probably also a, a gay cis male thing. Don't body shame yourself. <laughs> no, thank you. That's so kind. As always, we gave you options on Twitter for films under the genre that we're doing. This month, as mentioned, queer films nominated for Oscars in 2019. And they were... Can You Ever Forgive Me? The Favourite. And Bohemian Rhapsody. And the results were... Drumroll. On 17%. Bohemian Rhapsody. Poor Freddie Mercury. But also, fuck Brian Singer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Slightly above that, at 18% was... Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, I don't know anything about this movie, so probably a good job. Oh, I'm so angry that it didn't win. I wanted really? it to win so badly, but it didn't, uh, because the winner was... The winner was, in a letter, yet again, another obliterating landslide, um, uh, 65%, the favourite. You people know what you want, and you all vote the same, so clearly, yeah, very strong... The homogenous LGBT <laughs> block, uh, which is a film by Yorgos Lanthimos, um, which is very good. If that's how you pronounce it, I'm glad. I I have looked at that name and I've not... I don't know, I'm not Greek. Help. To sum up how we felt about the movie, Rowan, if you were in charge of the marketing of this film, what would be your alternative, more accurate title? Great actresses, shame they didn't know what to do with them. I mean, that's harsh criticism, really. Listen... You really hated this film. Didn't I didn't you? hate the film. I it just wasn't my favorite. 
like, you should have really seen but, um, that coming. You should, yeah, well, really should well have. Done. What was what was your alternative, more accurate title? So my one, I like I played around with a couple. One of mine, uh, because the last scene is just overlays, 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 rabbits, uh, and <laughs> made me feel really, really queasy towards the end of the film. Um, uh, but I settled on powerful lesbian three-way with a queen, which would also work particularly well um, on Pornhub for SEO. Good title. Yeah. Thank you. Good. So here's how the rest of the podcast is going to go. We're going to go through this in sections. First, a bit of context for the film, then a look at the plot, followed by behind the scenes discussions of things like the cast and production, and ending with a look at the wider issues of the genre, in this case, LGBT films, the Oscars and queer historical dramas. Then we'll end on our special rating system and give them a final score. I love our special rating system. I mean, it's great. There it are two the rating thing. systems that you have to look forward to at the end of this yeah, episode. No, we couldn't settle on one. <laughs> we had to do two. <laughs> so a little bit of behind the scenes uh, for you guys. At the time of recording, the Oscars haven't happened yet for us, but they probably have for you guys. Uh, but it was nominated for an awful lot of um, awards. Nine, in fact. It, it got ten nominations, though, because there were two nominations for Best Supporting Actress for uh, Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone. Um, so far, it's been bloody busy. It's got 118 wins across all of the awardees, um, uh, including the Grand Jury Prize at the Venice Film Festival. Is that big? Yes, yes that's very cool. big. Excellent. Um, the Best Actress at the Golden Globes for Olivia Colman, um, and the Best British Film, Best uh, Lead Actress and Supporting Actress at the BAFTAs. Uh, and the most adorable, it was a really lovely um, kind of like bumbling speech by Olivia Colman. I just wanted to have her to be my friend. I just like her winning stuff because her speeches are always so adorable and bumbling yeah. and I just yeah, want to yeah, hear yeah. what adorable speeches Where she has a load next. of like notes and is like, oh, oh no, I've done that bit. Uh, I've done that bit. Oh God, we're going to get pissed tonight. She's so precious. She's uh, the next national treasure she's going to take over from she already is she's already in my mind at least (laughs) good excellent and yours is the only one that matters yes Mm. oh god what else i meant to say um uh done that bit i think i've done that bit um uh oh and yeah what i yes so this is um (laughs) sorry i swear i'm going to go in a minute um this is for um not for the lead, it's for a lead. And as far as I'm concerned, all three of us are the same and should be the lead. And um, it's weird that we can't do that. But um, this is for all three of us. It's got my name on it, but we can scratch in some other names. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we have split the plot into three sections. We like to split the plot, I think, just to get ourselves oriented so it isn't just a massive mess. It's for us more than for you, let's be fair. Um, But we've called Act 1, the first part, Abigail falls in shit, literally and figuratively. (laughs) Which is very accurate, to be honest. Yeah, we love a a good metaphor. Um, Act 2 is uh, everybody wants to fuck Anne, the Queen. Mm -hmm. And Act 3, the final act, Sarah gets fucked. Not Open in a brackets, good way. not in a good way, close brackets. I, I, I suggested the, the brackets, I think it's very important. Yes. Because, I mean, there's a lot of fucking in this movie for a period drama. Yeah, no, there is. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> and we've, we've reflected that quite well in the titles that we've chosen for these I sections. Know, look at us, we're so creative. I guess the sort of very vague plot is, um, it's, it's early 1700s, yeah. Queen Anne's on the throne. Mm-hmm. Britain's at war with France. Um, and we're just kind of at the court, seeing what's going on. Anne's in Actually ill health. Actually filmed at Hampton Court Palace. 
well, as well. Thank, thank you for that little bit of t- tidbit behind yeah. the scenes, Jazza. Um, um, Anne's kind of very sick in various ways, mm-hmm. um, continues to be, and she has this woman who essentially seems to be running the country in her stead, mm-hmm. Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, Lady Marlborough. Yes, indeed. And it all kind of kicks off with the arrival of Emma Stone's character, Abigail. So Abigail uh, is arriving in a horse and carriage with some other human beings, as one does. Paraphernalia. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the Uber pool of its time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was a man, very much like the Uber pool, actually, there's a man wanking opposite her. Uh, oh, yes. And she feels... We start as we mean to go on with the <laughs> favourite. They, they set a tone really, really well. Uh, and then she gets kicked out of the carriage um, and lands in a pile of shit. Uh, bless her. She then presents herself herself to the scullery maids uh, and is ushered in to meet her cousin, who is Lady Montague. Um, but she hasn't <laughs> been given. Montague. No, Lady Montague. Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> Lady Marlborough, uh, but hasn't had a chance to like clean up yet and is covered in flies and poo. Lady Marlborough. Oh, I didn't know the news were ended in here. It is I, Abigail. Dear cousin, I have a letter from our aunt, and I'm sorry, I did not mean to present as a... Fell out of a carriage. I often think about the idea of like character introductions, mm. and in films like this, I'm not necessarily particularly emotionally invested. I get quite invested in the like the construction of how it's been made, mm-hmm. and I found that was such an interesting kind of character. The character introduction between the Queen and um, Sarah as well, mm-hmm. uh, where she es- essentially you just get in a couple of lines the power dynamic between them. Mm-hmm. The idea that she says, you know, you look like a badger, like take that off your face. And she doesn't say yeah, like, take yeah, it off yeah, your, yeah. like she isn't, there's ways to deal with it. It could be, because she says a lot, I don't lie to you, mm-hmm. right? So, but but there's a difference between I, I don't lie to you and I'm nice about it mm-hmm. and what Sarah actually does, which is I don't lie to you and also I make you feel awful. Because mm-hmm. um, she could have just been like, sweet, like, sweetheart, look at your face. Let's just wash that off and then come to the meeting. She's like, I'll take care of it. You just go back to your rooms. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for the Russian ambassador. Who did your makeup? We went for something dramatic. Do you like it? You look like a badger. Oh. Are you going to cry? Really? Well, what do you think you look like? Badger. So Olivia Coleman's uh, Queen Anne is just really a symbolic figure when it comes to power. Absolutely. Um, and it's actually Lady uh, Marber who is like running the whole show. She's in charge of all of the affairs of the estate. Completely. And she's meeting with like the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition in order mm-hmm. to decide what we're going to do um, with this war. But I agree with kind of like that introduction of that dynamic is set, set up so like brilliantly. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is clearly what's up um uh, and we know that there are people kind of vying for the attention of the queen mm-hmm. symbolically but actually the person who's the decision maker is is sarah, sarah. absolutely mm-hmm. um i made my so we always make notes when we're going into this podcast and i had to make the notes as this is a lot of the things we've done we watch them on dvd or we watch them on netflix and we can make notes in, a, in our own time very uh-huh, leisurely uh-huh. for this one i did watch it in the cinema and therefore was making notes in the dark as it went along <laughs> very rushed so some of these notes are just wow so my first one just says gout is lesbian childbirth 
And I think what I meant by that was there's a scene in which she has gout and, and Sarah comes to to her side. Yeah. And it was genuinely filmed as if it was a childbirth scene mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with her like on her back screaming on her back sweating, and like her partner yeah, holding her hand. It's the dead of night. It. It's candlelight. It's candlelight. It's all that stuff. Which, and, and, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I've made the observation, but fuck me, I don't. I'm like, if I know what the hell mm-hmm. that's meant to mean. Do they do you also know what I mean? wrap themselves in uh, cuts of meat yeah. in lesbian childbirth as well? But yes, that is in fact oh, something that we do do. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you I'm for glad that. I'm edu- so educational. <laughs> I just found like there was it was so interesting these these scenes that we had throughout the film that felt like they were scenes from a straight movie with slight <laughs> yeah. twists. My absolute favorite, and I know I'm skipping ahead, but I feel like it's kind of linked to this idea of like a scene that that on the surface, if you were just to just look at it, you would you would associate it with in this case like childbirth. Um, but later on, when there's the 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 um, kind of quartet, the little mini oh, mini yeah, band that yeah, are playing yeah, outside. Yeah. Uh, and they stop to listen and then she's like shut up stop it and I was like oh it's like a lesbian John Hughes movie like it's like they've it's the boombox outside and she's like fuck off (laughs) which I greatly greatly appreciated make them stop what stop enough stop be gone I command it Queen Anne is suffering, as we said, from gout, which was really, really common in those days. Mm-hmm. Found out um, it came from eating uh, like rich foods like oysters mm-hmm. and uh, lobster and lots of red meat and all that kind of stuff. And basically meant that your feet swell up. Mm. Um, Although I did find out that potentially um, she didn't have gout. She actually had lupus, uh, but it was undiagnosed. Oh. So she, there's like lots of things that she had that would explain all her miscarriages. It would explain like a load of stuff that she had uh, with these right, other disorders yeah. that they just couldn't diagnose. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, she's insane and has all this stuff wrong with her and we can't work out why. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, she has like arthritis because of the lupus. And oh, stuff. goodness. Kind of interesting. But to well, be honest, she may have had gout as well because I'm not going to lie, she was eating a lot of cheese. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, they, they do eat a lot of that kind of stuff when throughout this movie. But uh, Abigail is there, um, uh, she kind of notices um, how much in pain she's called in the dead of night to kind of help out with this bout of gout (laughs) that Anne is having. Bout of gout. Uh, And then kind of runs off into the woods one day because she's um, hurt her skin by uh, putting her hand in a bucket of lime. Very silly thing to do. Um, And ends up rubbing this kind of like herbal remedy on the gout of the queen and the queen is like oh i'm i'm actually a little bit better now and eventually um we end up seeing that the queen um passes abigail in the <laughs> in the corridor and abigail goes the Queen looks at her and is like, Oh, I'm sorry, Your Majesty. I must have caught a chill once I was picking the herbs for your leg. It's like, Oh, that was you. And that's how, like, the seed of power is is uh, is created. <coughs> I'm sorry, Your Majesty. I think I caught a chill picking the herbs for your leg. That was you, Abigail. Because I think up until then we weren't really sure whether Abigail was 
the um, was going to be an ambitious person. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I feel like we had these ideas that she's come, but it's like, maybe she's just come to the house to get out of her awful situation she was in. Well, she's, she's come to happening. the house because she her um, dad has uh, lost everything on a game of whist and he sold Abigail to a German man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how she's ended up do. here, just looking for anything, trying to find her cousin, Sarah, who would hopefully be able to give her some kind of a job. But she eventually ends up out of the scullery and being Sarah's assistant. Um, fr- through this this remedy that she creates. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, it's, it's kind of, again, one of those really small character moments, her like little cough of like, oh, I must be getting sick because of the herbs. Mm -hmm. It's such a small thing that you're like, oh, I know exactly what's happening with you. Like, it's not even subtle. Like, you're doing this deliberately to try and get in favour, which I think is really interesting because I think if she was just someone who was looking to get out of her previous circumstances, she's already out of those circumstances. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's Mm -hmm. already in with with Sarah now. She could just be content to be, like, by her cousin's side. But she is a lady. She's a fallen lady. And that's kind of, like, sewn through the plot as well. She She wants wants to rise back up. Yeah, she wants to get her status back. Um, uh, And, like, I think I got caught off guard by that from Emma Stone's character because I felt like she was... Uh, quite wide-eyed and innocent and really was kind of at her uh, she was literally covered in shit and that makes you warm to her a little bit mm-hmm. and I perhaps naively thought that she was just n- not quite as ambitious as she ends up But being. I think you're meant to think that because I think that's also a reason why they introduce um, Sarah's character in the way that they do mm. is to immediately, like, she's mean she's mean to Anne and I think mm. if she, you'd have done another scene where they were affectionate together at the beginning it would have been a really equal footing between the two characters, Sarah and um, and Abigail, in terms of who you were meant to root for. And I feel like mm-hmm. they were very clearly saying at the beginning, root for Abigail. And then maybe it developed as we went along and, and things started to get a little bit more intense. Is it bad that I actually think the way that um, uh, Sarah treats Anne is my idea, my idea of an ideal partner? I just want... I want yeah, because it's sort of very <laughs> abusive, Jessica, so maybe <laughs> I, not so much. No, but for me, being told that you look like a badger is banter <laughs> yeah but pants. i feel like the difference is between like you look like a badger and you look like a badger go the fuck back to your room i'm gonna deal with this now that's oh, very yes. different okay that's the line but i want to be told that i look like a badger yeah but i think that's the thing if they'd have if they'd have just done her her truthfulness yeah and with some affection and like because there are scenes in which you see that throughout but they don't introduce her like that so right, they okay. at the very beginning it's like she's she's really intense about it and she's really dismissive and she's really horrible mm-hmm. and and to, in order for you to like abigail who you also see in these really unfortunate situations you see her being funny when she's mm-hmm. like fallen mm-hmm. off the horse you know all of this stuff they're really trying to introduce it so you feel some sympathy mm-hmm. for emma stone's character abigail um and and so you are kind of willing to forgive her for a lot of stuff as it goes on until you're always she's kind of like past the point of no return mm-hmm. can i ask you something as long as you're aware that I have a gun. You fought hard for this war and your husband is at the front of it. His life is at risk. How can you do that? It is right. If we don't do it, they will gather for us and be over here cutting us all into chops within the year. You are of a sweet disposition and have suffered blows, so desire safety and favor above all else. If he dies, did you not sacrifice your cunt to fatty German to save your father? Yes. There's always a price to pay. I am prepared to pay it. The, the tipping point into this next section is essentially Abigail discovering the relationship between Sarah and Anne. That they're humping. That they, they're having a very sexual relationship <laughs> together. Um, 
And so we see that kind of dotted in this relationship. So we see the idea that they have a secret passage between their rooms, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that it's like, if they weren't explicit about it, it's the kind of thing straight people could explain away as like, you know, just those were what happened in those days. Yeah, there were always secret passages in old love buildings. A secret passage. Love a secret passage, mm. the gentry. When Anne and Sarah are kind of retiring back after the ball where Anne has had a little bit of a... Uh, a, a spout of jealousy. Um, they go into the library where Abigail is reading a book that she's kind of like in the process of stealing, um, uh, and they start making out in the Queen's wheelchair. And uh, she ends up thinking, ah, oh. well, we assume that she starts thinking, ah, oh, this is something that I can capitalise on. Um, uh, and here beginneth what we are calling our second act, where Abigail begins uh, putting herself in a position Mm -hmm. where the Queen may start finding her attractive. So my secrets are safe with you? All of them. Good. Even your biggest secret. Abigail. (gasps) If you forget to load the pellet. The gun fires, makes a sound, but releases no shot. It is a great jape, do you agree? Yes. Maybe we will think of a use for it one day. Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I do fear confusion and accidents. I'm sure people will be careful. I think that this is also really interesting. So we, so at first, I think when we first see that scene, we don't necessarily know that she's gonna what she's gonna use that information Mm. for right so it's like if we if we were going down the road of her still maybe being a little bit innocent or a little bit kind of like you know it it would be more of a just oh don't worry she does actually have a scene with sarah where she's sort of like don't worry i will keep your secret when they're shooting but i think it becomes much more like opportunistic and ambitious Mm -hmm. my so my question coming into this section which i guess will continue is how far are these women actually attracted to one another? And how far is it just ambition? I think that is a very good question. And actually, I think what we uh, assume at the beginning is that this is people are only interested in Anne because she is power. But actually, I think as we see kind of the demise of Sarah later on in the, in the film, I, th- I genuinely think that there is uh, affection and love there to a certain extent. I, I mean, big time as well. I think she's not just jealous about the loss of power, although that is something that she is clearly grieving uh, when uh, Abigail becomes the favourite. But she uh, really talks about, uh, like, is playful with the Queen, is very uh, kind of, like, caring, talks to Abigail about her as, like, this really special creature that not many people really understand. Um, uh, what about Abigail, though? Abigail, I think, is genuinely just in it. She's just in it for uh, the title, in order to social climb. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me! Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! With um, Abigail, she comes in and I feel like everything that she does, even the stuff... So in this section, they ha- you have that scene where Anne confides in her around, about her 17 miscarriages, or her, mm-hmm. her 17 children so that didn't survive. So she has 17 rabbits... Uh, 
uh, like in her bedchambers, and there's she has one rabbit for each miscarriage that she's had. Or like child who's stillborn, or mm-hmm. child who didn't survive, like past their first birthday. Yeah. There's like a mix, but basically she has no living children. Which really humanised, like it makes you um kind of warm to the Queen quite a lot as well. Yeah. Before then, she's kind of like a farcical character, yeah. like cracking jokes. There's the line that was in the that's been uh, teased in all of the trailers of the. Did you look at me? Look at me. Don't look at me. How dare you? Like, like, yeah. like the, those fantastic, hilarious lines. Like yeah. she's meant to be this bumbling character, but then actually there's this really yeah. sad past to her. But that's something that also Sarah's character, um, Rachel Weisz's character, talks about as well. It's like she's been through a lot, and actually, I care for that woman a lot. Yeah. Whereas, but like in that scene hmm. where Anne is telling Abigail about it. Because we know that Abigail is starting this social climbing element and that she's only in that room because she's trying to social climb, I, I'm i like, am I meant to believe that she's genuinely having a reaction? So even when she seems to be having a genuine reaction of shock and like, oh God, and like a bit of softness to her yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. and like, do you want to, should we get the rabbits out and play, like, and trying to interact with it? Mm-hmm. I'm There's still a bit of my mind that's like, She's fucking lying. Oh, like, yeah. Do you she know doesn't I mean? actually care about the rabbits. She knows that the queen cares about the rabbits. And but so I think fun. in that scene, there is an element of like, actually, it could be true. Like, she could actually have been like, I'm going to social climb. This woman's insane, blah, blah, blah. And then you have this moment of tr- true, of like truth and of mm-hmm. secret of where it's like, this is what these mean. And there's this moment of softness that I'm, that I equally think you could read the other way and see as her being taken aback suddenly by like the humanity of this person. I lost some 17 children. Some were born as blood, some without breath, and some were with me for a very brief time. Oh, my dear. The day Hildebrand's day. The day you lost him. Yes. Each one that dies, a little bit of you goes with them. So, um... There is a scene which I amused me on a very personal level greatly, which was where Emma Stone's character Abigail just waits naked in bed for Anne. Yeah. And is like, oh, I must have fallen asleep. Your bed just looks so comfortable. And it just really reminds me of this, like, on. it's kind of like the ongoing lesbian joke of, like, lesbians don't know when they're flirting with each other. And so people, it's really funny. So it's like, it's, it's a meme at this point where (laughs) it will be, where like people, it will be one of those things on, you know, like relationship Reddit where people post and a lot of the stuff is just like how horrific men are to women and Uh they don't realize. uh So the lesbian version of that is like, I have a really good friend. This friend is constantly like asking me to massage her and telling me I look beautiful. And one time she suggested that we went into a fake relationship and started dating, but that we couldn't kiss. But then we ended up kissing. Does she like me? And it's honestly, it felt like that. It felt like it was like she could do that. And Anne would be like, does she like me? That like amused me greatly. I was like, I could see that being on relationship Reddit of like, this woman (laughs) seems... This woman appeared in my bed naked. (laughs) Does she like me? No, she doesn't like you, Queen Anne. Yeah, no, in that that case, she doesn't. What are you doing? Your Majesty. If you more asked me to wait for you and I was... Bed looks so beautiful and I was overcome. With foolishness, I'm sorry. Well, you may get out now. Um, the, and that tension in that, 
um, the scene that directly follows where um, Sarah is like about to discover them. Yeah, it's very. It's another one of those very claustrophobic elements that we have in the in the the music and in the. Well, whenever there's filming. a scene in, at the night, because obviously this is before electricity mm-hmm. existed, and uh, fun fact about the 1700s, um, everybody used candles. But it's all of these kind of like again really claustrophobic, dark wooden corridors lots of echoes and often well always the the actors just being illuminated by the candle that they're holding mm-hmm. in their hands or you see a kind of a load of these kind of like really warm lights beacons throughout the room that uh, cast long shadows and make really dramatic kind of like shapes with people's faces and stuff uh, it's really brilliantly um shot that's my professional opinion yeah, that, that that tension and then getting discovered. Um, I mean, a tidbit that is kind of relevant to this section is apparently Emma Stone um, requested the topless scene in that scene. Oh. Originally, it wasn't in the script, and she said, look, I think it's actually going to be like way more interesting and intense if instead of just seeing her in her bed, mm-hmm. she turns and it's just like... It's full this, boob. Clearly, yeah. this is what they've been doing. Couple of mammaries slapping yeah. in Just the right face. in there. Yeah, yeah. And then followed very quickly this scene. It's a very quick progression in what's happening in the turnaround of the favourite. <laughs> they really, they, they got those, that she got her goals. They were mm-hmm, smart mm-hmm, goals. Mm-hmm. They were achievable. They were measurable. Um, <laughs> and she got it in with the Queen. And it's just that line. Um, I like it when she puts her tongue inside me. Yeah. Um, what a line. So Rachel Vice, after she discovers them, uh, it tries to fire Abigail and uh, goes up to Queen Anne and is like, she's been fired, I've dismissed her as my maid. And the Queen goes, no, actually, she's now my maid um, uh, and you can't do anything about it. Uh, Rachel Weisz then goes, oh, but she's a a liar and a thief. It's like, yes, but I like it when she puts her tongue inside me. She's my servant, she's not dismissed. I've made her my maid of the bedchamber. Did you not hear what I said? Yes, you regard her as a liar and a thief. Yes, I do not, obviously. You will dismiss her. I don't want to. I like it when she puts her tongue inside me. Before we get on to the, the final part of the of the plot, um, Emma Stone has the line, I'm on my side always. And I think yeah. if you were in any doubt, if you were in any doubt that she holds any affection for Anne, I feel like that was the absolute nail in the coffin. And I, and I do think it is interesting, like we've talked before about like the artifice of the filmmaker, how they wanted you to feel kind of sympathy and affection and stuff mm-hmm. for Emma Stone's character mm-hmm. to begin with and then messed you up in a way by being yeah, like, you oh, actually, let down by her, you could, actually. Yeah, 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 exactly. The Queen has taken a shine to me and I will drip poison into her ear regarding you until she is mad with hatred for you or we could have a mutually advantageous friendship. Count of three, yes or no? Well, if you're so close to the Queen, why not just ask this favour yourself? I do not want her to ever think I want anything from her. Have you counselled her for our side? No. The country's future hangs in the balance. Mm-hmm. My thing is what I wish to talk about. You do not care. Now, I thought you were on our side. I'm on my side. Always. Sometimes it's a happy coincidence for you. And then we get the transition into the third section, which is the poisoning. Yeah, the, the poisoning, poisoning of, of uh, Lady Marlborough. Um, so Abigail put something in her tea, coffee, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not sure if they had coffee in the 1700s yet. But then, uh, then she goes off riding um, in a bit of a strop because she's had an argument with the Queen. 
uh, and starts throwing up on the horse, falls off the horse, and then is dragged through the mud through um, with her face in contact with the floor, um, just off somewhere into the woods, and she's very terribly injured. And the queen is prompted, we can't find her, we don't know where she is, and the queen goes, no, she's trying to she's trying to vex me. Um, uh, don't send anybody to look for her. And it actually turns out that Sarah is um, quite badly hurt. I think it's interesting because it's like, that was the one part of the, in terms of in the cinema I was at, that people like gasped out loud. Mm. Like, there was a lot of quite shocking lines and all this stuff, but it's the bit where she falls from the horse. The physicality. As the horse is riding, and so she yeah, just yeah. like smacks into the ground. People like audibly gasped at that moment. Mm. Where am I? You're in heaven. That's God. You'll meet him later. I must go. I don't think that's happening. While Sarah is recovering in a brothel in a village somewhere, uh, quite a lot happens back at the palace. So Abigail is now uh, pretty much like the favourite, the Queen's right-hand lady, mm-hmm. and she ends up uh, planting a few seeds across court to make sure that the Queen wants to help uh, Abigail to get married to Samuel, who's the hot guy. He is hot. Trust me. I'll take your word for it. So they get married, and then she becomes a lady again because she's married this higher-class guy, and she gets £2,000 a year uh, from the Queen, which the Queen is very happy about. Um, good for them. And she's now basically taking the place of Rachel Vice, all in, like, a couple... I would assume, like, a couple of weeks. Mm. Like, a bit harsh. Very quick. Yeah, I mean... we. She's need like, rush that marriage through. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Um, I did really enjoy on her... Uh, her wedding bed with um, Samuel, her husband, uh, she turns around, he sits, sits there and is like, I'm rock hard and this is our wedding night. And she's there trying to think about what Sarah is doing to plot why she'd been away for so long she shouldn't be dead. And then she turns around and like, oh, for goodness sake, and starts wanking him off and plotting at the same time. And that is multitasking. Now that she's gone, I find myself more concerned than when she was here. It's like she could strike from anywhere at any time. I will not see it coming. It must be calm. She's gone. I'm married. But I must be ready. And yet how to be ready when I do not know where my enemy is. My life is like a maze. I continually think I've gotten out of it. I need to find another corner right in front of me. Sarah returns from her lovely little jaunt to the brothel, uh, manages to not have to pay back her debts, and presents herself uh, to like the court and finds Abigail there saying that, um, oh, the servant is dressed as a lady. And Abigail's like, well, actually, quite a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks, mate. So it's been really busy, social climbing, here you go, here you go. Uh, and uh, there's quite a lot of shouting, quite a lot of slapping that happens. Um, it's all a little bit awkward. I could not just stand by and let you destroy me. You have perhaps taught me that. But it's over now. I have won. I am safe. We do not have to fight anymore. Is that not grand? If you just forgive me, we can be happy together. And then ultimately, Sarah oh. basically issues this sort of ultimatum. Mm-hmm. To, to the Anne. Queen. So Anne um, is... Uh, 
if the time away hasn't been enough and ends up rejecting her because of the disfigurement that um, uh, Sarah has had, um, says like, "Oh, your face scares me. Don't come near me." Um, like, I definitely missed that in the in no, the, really? in the film. Yeah, yeah, and that's why she wears lace over over her face for like the rest yeah. of the movie. Um, uh, and then Anne um, uh, is threatened by by Sarah. I started looking over some of the many, many, many letters you've written me. I long for your embrace. I long for the heat from your naked body on mine. It's very intense, very explicit. I thought I'd misplaced some of them the other day. It was quite a fright. What to say that son of a bitch, Jonathan Swift, got his hands on them in his newspaper the next day? He would be ruined. He would never. You have no idea what I would do for my country. So basically this ultimatum is um, send Abigail away, get her out of here, or I'm going to disclose our sexual relationship by making these letters public. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of... Basically, this doesn't go the way that she plans and and just sort of throws her out and is like, get, get the fuck yeah, out, basically. Yeah, takes away her key. Yep. Um, but not before Sarah makes this threat and then burns all the letters. Idiot. Mm-hmm. That's your bargaining chip. So... Abigail basically is promoted in Sarah's stead. She's given this this amazing key. And before Sarah is sent away, she kind of has this moment with the kind of swing in the key from yeah. her hips in, in yeah. view of Sarah. Kind of like, oh, keep that. I want it. Oh, move that over there. I don't care for it. You know, mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. showing off this power in front of her. Um, and Sarah has this interesting line that I was kind of hoping was going to come to something and it never did, where she's like, oh, you think you've won? And she's yeah, like, exactly. yeah, she yeah I do think she, do you think I've won, but I kind of wanted it to be like a some kind of like twist or mm-hmm. or catch or to trump up your sleeve or something interesting, and then it would just it just fizzle to nothing. But what is so interesting is that uh, Abigail doesn't know what to do with the power. She has no interest in the same way as uh, Sarah does about the politics and how to run things, um, and kind of like the cut and thrust of the the dealings of the of the estate and all of those kind of things. And as a result, that power ends up kind of like eating away at her. But before before we see that, there's the conversation that the Queen and Sarah have between the door when she has just lost her key and she's saying... And she's kind of like pleading to the Queen to, to take her back. And she says, Sometimes you will look like a badger and I will tell you, I will not lie and that is love. And I thought that was really... Beautiful, and that's why I want Rachel Vice to so be my standing. boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Abigail has done this. She does not love you. Because how could anyone? She wants nothing from me, unlike you. She wants nothing from you, and yet somehow she is a lady with two thousand a year, and Harley sits on your knee most nights. I wish you could love me as she does. You wish me to lie to you. Oh, you look like a, a an angel fell from heaven, Your Majesty. No, sometimes you look like a badger, and you can rely on me to tell you. Why? Because I will not lie. That is love. But again, I think it comes back to the beginning. Like I feel like mm-hmm. if you, I feel like you kind of have this 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 cross almost in how much you are meant to like the characters. Like yeah. You're, at yeah, first, yeah, you're yeah. meant to not like Rachel Weisz. You're meant to like. Um, Emma Stone's character and then by the end it's like Emma Stone's character sort of becomes this grotesque person but, but then I also think you can't just at the end do this weird redemption thing with Rachel Weisz's character where you're like 
oh, you're right, she doesn't lie, and that is that. But I'm like, but literally the scene she's referencing is a scene where she's an utter arsehole. It's not that she's... There's a way of not lying to people and not being an arsehole about it. Like, you can be honest, but not be awful. Yeah, I don't know why, but I still stan her. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, my God, you actually think you have won. We were playing very different games. All I know is your carriage awaits, and my maid is on her way up with something called a pineapple. And so I guess the only that it's kind of like the end scene, essentially, is this, or like the, the the kind of end sequences that come after this is a kind of like the epilogue bit where it's like this is what happens after mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Abigail has, in inverted commas, won she sort of becomes obsessed with this life of luxury becomes and a drunken high mess. status and drunkenness and then deliberately treads on one of these rabbits mm-hmm. and make it and to the point squeal. when it's squealing. And I think what was really interesting about the way the camera angles were in that shot is that you don't know if the queen can see mm-hmm. because the way it's shot is she's looking down the bed directly down. So potentially she can just hear, but doesn't doesn't necessarily know that oh, Abigail's really? doing it. Yeah, yeah, I was looking oh. really closely at that scene. Um, I think that it's because it could be implied that like she can, even if she hears it, she sort of already knows that Abigail's capable of that and mm-hmm. she's not surprised. Mm-hmm. Or she can see it happening and is too scared to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Or she's just sort of confused and doesn't know what's happening because it's also very much kind of like coded that she's maybe had a stroke or like something's happened to her that means she's she's even worse than she was before in terms of her ill health mm-hmm. um something that happens as well is um uh, abigail has been intercepting sarah's letters uh, so sarah mm-hmm. has been like cast out and but has been continues to like uh, she's been encouraged to write back to, to write to the queen to try and get her back into court mm-hmm. um uh, and she starts one of the letters with dear cunt um but we see uh, abigail intercept one of these letters and read it um, and uh, she ends up crying and throwing it into the fire. So I interpreted this as um, Sarah having poured her heart out into that letter, Abigail reading it and realising that she's never going to feel that kind of love for Queen Anne. <laughs> You're really laying it on thick now. I really, am I? Is it too much? Tell me when it's too much. And I think, and at the end, I mean, it's it's just... Anne kind of, you know, Anne, Anne grabbing, grabbing Abigail's hair mm-hmm. and ordering her to massage her. Rub my leg. Rub my leg. Your impressions of Queen Anne have been exemplary throughout this entire podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I will be up for a BAFTA next year. Thank you. And 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 yeah, and you just have this really uncomfortable cross-page scene that happens. Mm-hmm. And that was the plot of yeah. <laughs> The Favourite. Um, just broadly, you why didn't you like this movie? So I feel like people could have said to me things like, you didn't like the movie, but what about those costumes? And I'd be like, yeah, the costumes are great. Mm-hmm. Those performances, yeah, the performances are great. But I just felt like it was sort of, it didn't come together for me at all. Mm-hmm. It was like a lot of different things that I could individually praise, but then when it comes to actually being a film that I had any connection to or enjoyment from or interest in or whatever, it just kind of fell short. I found that so interesting because I loved it. I thought it was so, like in in terms of, like I didn't, so much enjoy the experience yeah um like literally that final scene where they like overlay where um abigail is rubbing the queen's leg and they have the rabbits and the overlay and the fire and everything it genuinely did make me feel a little bit nauseous i didn't enjoy the experience so much um and i didn't like very many of the characters except for obviously um sarah but 
it was so much of a like I was so aware of it using film as a medium in such an exemplary way um, uh, and maybe like it came together for me for I, I, and I can't put my finger on it um, but I saw all of those elements and I thought it was really I thought it was really great and it was so simple as well like I feel like the period of the story is maybe like it could be a couple of months yeah, or yeah. it could be like three years like we, mm-hmm. we never really know Get a sense um, of it. but it's such a simple like it is a beginning a middle and end it's an eight act for whatever reason um, but it has that very simplistic story mm. but really powerful actors great costumes callbacks great lighting talk about now is the sort of behind the scenes stuff so the things that aren't the plot itself but what was going on behind the scenes more the cinematography elements of it um all that kind of jazz the lighting which you'll come back to so you you mentioned about the lighting um Mm -hmm. fun fact about that it seems to be so from like a a layman's perspective i don't know a shit ton about this kind of stuff um uh, it is lots of kind of like stark daylight scenes contrasted with all of the night scenes where it's like uh super super dark with just what looks like the candles of uh, that the characters are using. Layman, you are right. Oh, no, specifically, really? So although I do think this is really good, so I think it's it's really intense. One of the first scenes we see is Emma Stone backlit horrendously mm, by mm-hmm, sunlight in the mm-hmm, doorway. Mm-hmm, so you cannot see her at all. And it's one of those things where you're like, this isn't, this is, this is a professional's film and therefore is a del- deliberate choice. But if you saw this in a student film, you'd be like, give him a D. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So the reason for the lighting is because this was filmed over an unseasonably hot summer, and so two thousand seventeen. So a big part of the we- we- uh, of the reasoning around when it was filmed, um, I have read, according to the lighting mm-hmm. people who worked in film, um, is because it was just too hot to get all of to get a ton of lighting equipment and film it. Whatever they were like, actually, not only does it fit with the aesthetic of the film, but just practical in terms of everyone in That's these layers amazing, and doing this but it stuff. works so well it works beautifully well and it, it, it absolutely I do think links with all so of so all of that stuff. is just the natural lighting it's then. natural lighting and it's wow. candlelight and all that kind of stuff I don't know if they had any lights in there but almost exclusively yeah, it's yeah, daylight yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's and it's candle lighting which is fascinating Rowan you're the expert I was wondering you are you really are um I don't know what you're about to say so it, it could be really flattering it could be really insulting what no what is it is it common for a, a film of this kind of like caliber to have the three main characters uh, be portrayed as women and queer women in that sense it is very rare do you know what's even rarer about it mm-hmm. the only time that male characters have a conversation without women present that is not about women, a.k.a. I guess the reverse Bechdel test. The reverse Bechdel test. Is um, when Harley and Godolphin talk about Horace the Duck. (laughs) (laughs) Must the duck be here? Fastest duck in the city. Horatio is a prize worth stealing. He does not leave my side. Keep him away from me or I will pull his liver out and eat it with a cornichon. Which is wild. That, like, it's really wild. That sums really up unusual. the movie really brilliantly, actually. It's very unusual. But, like, I feel like that's a really wonderful far, part of the film that we're at a time where men 
undoubtedly had all of the power, but we are seeing it through a lens of these women who, um, uh, where all of this power is concentrated, and without that access to the queen, the woman, you have to go through another um, woman, another woman, um, uh, and then when that woman gets usurped by another woman, you have to try and get curry favour with that, like women, everywhere. Yeah. In her acceptance speech for winning the BAFTA, Olivia Colman, I think, portrayed a really interesting, what is often stereotypically talked about as like a, a feminine idea of like what power is like. So she says, in my, she said when she um, won the award for best actress, in my head, I like the, we were the the lead role in this, and all three of us get this best actress role because we were all equal. There wasn't a supporting actress and a and a lead actress. Like this is ours, and I feel like that's kind of that was a interesting kind of like reflection of how power was distributed amongst the characters as well. Like they all had a certain type of power. There was sexual power with Abigail. There was um, a, a political and, and monetary power with Sarah. And there was kind of like traditional hierarchical power of the queen. Um, and they all kind of shared this and became, and were like this unit of uh, what we would kind of traditionally see is like, oh, one man has to incorporate all of these different forms of blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I thought that that was quite something that was quite interestingly mirrored between the film and uh, Olivia Colman accepting the award. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's really interesting because basically a lot of this is like marketing, right? It's like the film, the films have to decide who to put forward for yeah, each of yeah, these yeah. categories. Um, and I think that the amount of pe- the amount of films that have nominated two roles mm-hmm. for best lead actress or best lead actor are really, really small for the Oscars. And there were three of them. Mm-hmm. And they definitely couldn't put three of them in. Mm. And I think by all accounts, she's not the lead, right? Like, she's not the one who is I given would, agency. I would say Abigail is the lead. I think, I think you're right. Mm. Because she's the one where you see the most of privately. Yeah. She's the one where you see have the most agency in terms... She has the biggest character arc in terms of her circumstances mm-hmm, changing, mm-hmm. in terms of her... Um, ambition coming through in terms of what we learn about her she's a bit big um kind of point of view character for us that we don't get a lot of so it was really interesting that that's how they've done it and i think it is because it's so obviously she her and rachel vice have the sort of mirror image characters mm. that it's sat it seems like if you think about it for like half a second or they must be the two supporting yeah, yeah 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 and it's it's fascinating to me yeah that that, that that's how it's been how it's been sort of outlined but no i absolutely agree with you about the different power dynamics and stuff i I definitely think this is like a Mm three-hander and there's not an ensemble award i think that that's that would be an interesting award to to award uh at the oscars there's a couple Mm. of different tv based award ceremonies that have on best ensemble cast Mm -hmm. um and i'd love to see something like that at the oscars to, to kind of to see what that might look like so this is the first of the of the podcast that we've um kind of recorded and released so far the first women yeah based women based film um i'm kind of interested to know whether like how far in terms of like the queer cinema that you've seen do you tend to gravitate more towards like gay men in your media just in terms of like your identity or because it's the more readily available or because it seems to be more mainstream both of those reasons Uh, uh, like they're definitely uh, like the g in lgbt dominates queer cinema um, but also that's my experience, and so I enjoy watching that. I do, I do my best to watch as much um, other like queer stuff as well. Um, uh, but there, are, like it enough that I know that there isn't as much of it. Do you have feelings about why that is? 
Because I feel like it's really like I feel like there's so many elements that make up the reason why that happens. Because uh, there's the stereotype of gay men, gay men being in entertainment um, and being around like that industry a lot, and the, like not just in film but in theatre mm-hmm. and all that. Therefore, kind like of being stuff. decision makers, yeah, storytellers to tell yeah, their exactly. own stories in it. Yeah. Um, if there was a member of the LGBT community that was going to get to tell its story first and most prolifically, it would be the G out of the LGBT. Um, and for that reason, there's a lot more waiting with the amount of uh, gay stories, um, gay male stories that we see. Um, and probably the lowest is is um, trans and like openly bi people because of bi erasure. And that's why we see the lowest number out of those. And I think that a part of this, for me at least, is is potentially ideas of like where what gay films we like. So the idea of like gay historical films mm-hmm. seems to do quite well. Those kind of biopic ideas, and I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of those are gay men because gay men could do more things in that they were men, right? Yeah, like, so they yeah, could yeah, they could yeah, hold yeah, political yeah. office more like they were more likely to hold political office. Mm-hmm. They were more likely, and also the fact that you th- we have the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. is another massive piece of fodder for like to, for film and TV, and that primarily affected mm. queer men, and like all of these elements I think kind of add up together to make the landscape that we have today in terms of queer cinema and what that looks like and the relative scarcity of women's stories that don't feel sort of pornographic in nature mm-hmm. or kind of obviously sexualized mm-hmm. um, or foreign uh, and i i mean like i i don't think i've seen a film an lgbt film other than like i could literally count them on a couple of fingers where i identified in any way with the lesbian protagonists whenever we review a film on this podcast we like to give it two sets of ratings the first the queer rating we award the film uh, a certain number of the bars of the lgbt flag so that is the six colors of the flag um rowan how many colors and which ones are you going to award the favorite so this is a really tough one because I feel like it's a real gay film. So I want to give it a lot of colours. Mm-hmm. But also, I, it wasn't my favourite film in the world. So I'm like, how do I, how do, I do that? Do I give, it, for, do yeah. I give yeah. it more stripes because of like how gay it was? Or do I give it the amount of stripes in terms of my enjoyment of it if I was to give it like, you know, out of five stars if I was reviewing it? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is our... Because I think before, I've sort of correlated those things have kind of matched up and now I've, I've come to a split decision. So do we have a ruling from you who is now the judge of this rating system? I am now system? the judge. I, I mean, I say do whatever the hell you want because we've graded them differently <laughs> between us That's in the true. past as well. So for me, I'm going to give it uh, four out of six. I'm going to give it um, uh, ooh, green, which is for nature, yellow, which is for light, Red, which is for life, and purple, which is spirit. So I think it gets. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do life, and red, but I'm gonna drop in the original pink meaning for sexuality because I feel right. like that, that makes sex. sense. Loads of sex. I'm gonna give it yellow for sunlight because, as we've established, the lighting revolves Solid. a lot around daylight. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I'll give it spirit. I'll give it. It's got some spirit to it. Oh, that's nice. So I think I'm doing three out of six. I think that's my... Right, fair enough. Our second rating is the cis-het rating, which is we uh, give the film a percentage, which is the percentage that we think a cis-het person would watch of the movie. So if they were to watch the whole movie all the way through and enjoy it, 
then it, the movie would get 100%. What do you think for this one? This is an excellent... So I think that before when we've talked about this rating, the reason why they've dropped off is because it got gay. Yeah. But I think for, for cishet men, potentially that's like a plus side to this. You think the rubbing of a middle-aged woman's leg for gout is going to be good for the system? No, I think men. I think that the bits in which they think that Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone might kiss will right. keep them watching. I think the okay. promise of Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone kissing will keep them going to the bitter end. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on yeah. I think also it's it's now it's won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Percentage-wise, it means a lot more people are going to oh, go. It's going to be it. a very quote unquote important movie. Yes, very mm. moonlight of yeah. it. Um, <laughs> But I think they'll come out at the end and be like, either depending on the kind of person they are, like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they'll be like, wow, really? I just love, wow, so artistic, so <laughs> interesting, so, oh, very funny, wasn't yeah, it? Ooh. What do you think? Um, I uh, am going to give it about 2% because that's, <laughs> because none of, I had no idea that it was a gay movie until you told me it was. Um, none oh. of the promotional materials disclose that it, disclose that it's a gay movie, show that it's a queer movie in any way, shape or form. It just looks like Olivia Coleman being in Peep Show with some funny makeup on. Oh. Um, uh, and then it's, so it, it's made clear that it's gay really early on. So they'll so watch until it's it, clear it's gay and then they'll be like, no thanks. Yeah, I'm giving it about 2-3%. There we go. Yeah, you're welcome, everybody. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. It does make us very, very happy. Um, Please do follow us on Twitter so that you can help us decide next month's movie. Uh, We are doing queer horror. It's very exciting. And you will be helping us choose from uh, Dead Boys Don't Scream... Jennifer's Body. The Gay Bed and Breakfast of Terror. And Vampire Lovers. I've seen none of these and know nothing about any of these. I've seen... I'm not... Do you know what? I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to give away my preference. Okay. We want people to cool. come to this just but with their own hearts But you will be voting in, in the mind. poll yourself, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, obviously. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast catcher um, and give us as many ratings as you possibly can. Log in with your parents. Uh, Apple ID as well and just rate us on that too it really really helps especially as we are a new young up and coming hip and cool podcast it genuinely really helps Uh, and if you like also support us on Patreon uh, because we've spent a lot of money getting this up and running Uh we have indeed (laughs) oh it's fun Uh, where can they find you on the internet Rowan? Um, I am uh, as is someone who clearly did not think that they were going to be using social media much every single one of my social medias has a different handle but mainly on Twitter at Hey Rowan Ellis um, you can find me anywhere on the internet if you google Jazza John but not just Jazza because some Australian painting tutorial guy it's has taken that from taken me ju- yeah wow yeah. Jazza John then he is my nemesis <laughs> uh, okay thanks Bye. Bye. Did you just start? No, that's my tummy.
just doing a rumble. <laughs>